It's good to see you all here this morning. Some of you that haven't been here for a while, welcome back, welcome home. I've titled my message this morning, Don't Be Cain If You Are Able. I know it's a play on words, but I think sometimes we fall, the apple doesn't fall too far from that tree when it comes to our own personal lives. In Genesis 3.15, it says this, and that God is speaking, as I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God was speaking to the serpent and to Adam and Eve. We're still being bruised in our heels. And there's still a disdain for the serpent. At least if you're normal. I make that, make that statement because there's a lot of people that have snakes for pets. And I still can't quite understand that one, but that's okay. That's why I say they're not quite normal, but maybe I'm being a little judgmental there. But I think in, in, our, in our nature, in our, in our humanity, when we see a snake, we just recoil. It's like, ah! When I can still hear my mom say it, and she'd say it in Dutch. So for those of you that understand, if she's seen a snake, it's a voice to hawk. Where's the hoe? Because that was the easiest weapon to dispatch a snake. And I think it's normal. Uh, we don't like snakes. We're still dealing with a cursed ground, and we're still sweating. I think we need training on the heel problem, but I want to look at the head crush, bruising that needs to happen. And I know the bruising, the head of the serpent, came when Christ died on the cross. But I think he's transferred the job, if you want to call it that, or the duty of mankind since the crucifixion to keep bruising that head. Notice he didn't say take the head off. It said bruise it. And, and it's interesting because if Satan wouldn't be around, we wouldn't have trouble. Why didn't Christ just take the hoe to the head of the serpent? Revelations 13.8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, and I've underlined worship, whose names are not written in the book of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. And that Lamb, as you would understand it, is Jesus Christ. And so we take Revelations and we take Genesis. And somehow in Genesis, the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation speaks of that Lamb that was slain at the foundation of the world. And we're living in between that. But I'd like to read Genesis 4, 1 through 8. You can turn there for a text this morning. But I'd like to say something about Revelations while you're turning there. It said, these people aren't born again, but they still worship. And so I would like to uh, submit to you this morning that worship does not make you born again. And disobedience in any form God hates. And adding more worship does not nullify the disobedience. And the question I leave with you is, how I worship important to God? 
You're going to find out here in just a little bit. Let's read Genesis 4, 1 through 8. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And again, she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. You see in this passage here that, so both of these brothers brought an offering. And my brother-in-law had, and I had a discussion a number of years ago, and we, we, we discussed this whole thing uh, of Abel and his offering. And, and I made the comment, I said, well, Abel brought the wrong thing. And he said, well, where do you read anywhere prior to this that God required a sacrifice of a lamb? We don't hear, but you've got to read the rest of the Bible to get the answer. You know, I don't know what was going through Cain's mind when he was preparing his altar. But I'm not so sure that logic probably didn't have a part to play. And logic can get us in trouble, often, more often than not. You know, maybe he said, well, Abel's bringing what he's raising. Why can't I bring what I raise? God is making what I'm bringing just as much as what God is making what Abel is bringing. But God has respect unto Abel's offering and to Cain's he doesn't. And I would submit to you this morning that God had given clear instruction on what he wanted. I don't think God was requiring something of Cain that Cain didn't understand. I think Cain had a problem lining his brother's pocket because he'd have had to part with a few more vegetables to, go, to buy a lamb for his sacrifice, and he was not about to do that. We like to circumvent what God wants us to do. Either it's too much or not enough, or it's something completely different. We never like to do exactly what God asks for. But what God asks for is always simple. And it's always thorough, and it's always what He wants. But nobody that is at enmity against God wants to do what God wants. It's that rebellion inside that says, I'm going to do it my way. And that's your first step in a downfall, in a, in a spiral that goes down that, that is very hard to recover from is when we have that, that mentality in our own heart that I'm going to do it my way. God cannot, cannot honor that. He, ca he can't have respect to that. But Abel has looked, is declared righteous. In Matthew 23.35, I'm not going to ask you to turn that. You can if you want to. But Matthew 23.35 says this, and this is Christ speaking, said that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. That's the first time in the, in the New Testament that Abel is spoken of. 
The second is in Hebrews 11, 4, it says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. It would almost give you the idea that Cain's sacrifice was excellent, but not as excellent in that terminology. But, uh, but read on, you, you understand that it's more than that. It says, By which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gift, and by it he, being dead, yet speaketh. Hebrews 12, 24, and Jesus, and this is where it gets interesting because Christ is brought into this picture here. It says, Hebrews 12, 24, it says, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. That gives you a little bit of a hint there that blood is required because you see, I can worship all I want now. I can worship my creator in the way he's created. I can give honor and glory to him, but if I have not applied the blood to the cross, of the cross to my own heart and my own life and accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that worship does not amount to anything. At least not much. You see, we've got to get the horse in front of the cart. So often I, I find myself like Peter. When, when Christ came around, you know, instituting the Lord's Supper and, and he, he, he's going to bow before Peter there and he's going to wash his feet. What did Peter say? Did he want just his feet washed? No, he wanted his head and his hands. He wanted, he wanted to submerge himself. But that's our nature. We, we always want to go, you know, if, if a little bit's good, then a whole lot's better. That's our nature. We don't want to do what God prescribes. We want to do more than that. Because we think if, if a little bit is good, then a whole lot is better. There's balance. And there's balance in what God asks of us. You know, Adam and Eve, right after the fall, they found out they were naked. Right? They sewed fig leaves together. Was that good enough? What did God do? He said he, he provided skins, right, to cover them. Can an animal live without skins? I think Adam and Eve realized the gravity of what they had done when God and his beautiful creation, and I don't know, I guess personally for myself, I, I, I guess I probably visualize that God used two lambs. Maybe some two older sheep, I don't know. That's just... I can see God doing that. And he killed, he, he made the first sacrifice to cover. And I don't know, I guess, I guess maybe, I would maybe see that Adam and Eve were probably quite attached to these, these two animals. And it cost something emotionally for them. Because of their wickedness, there had to be death. Because of their wickedness, God used that to clothe them and to cover what they exposed in their fall. The question I have is, what am I saying that's different from what God says? We justify things. We like to move things in a direction, but we don't like to admit what God says. In this passage here, I want you to look at, we've looked at, Cain, at Abel, now let's look at Cain. Eve says in chapter 4, verse 1 there, that, that first word, 
verse there. It says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Did she? Yes, she did. But I wonder, what was the home life like? There was nobody else to look at and see how to do life, was there? No, she was the first mama. And maybe she thought Cain was perfect, sinless, like her and Adam were. I've gotten me a man from the Lord. And so maybe Cain got everything he wanted. Most of you parents know that that's not a good recipe for success in family training to give your child everything they want. But Cain was, uh, Cain was spiritual. He brought an offering. And in a world that we live in where everybody gets a pat on the back for at least trying, that's not what God does. God looks at the prescribed method and He says this is what you need to do and nothing else. Verse 5 says, God didn't have respect to Cain and his offering, and Cain was wroth. And that word wroth means angry, to burn, to blaze up, and be hot. And some of us know what that means. There's something within us that just rises up and gets upset. But who is Cain that he can look at God and be angry? He knows he can't get a hold of God, so what does he do? He gets a hold of his brother. Because that's something he can get a hold of. And humanity hasn't changed from the beginning of time. If I'm guilty, let me just take out somebody that makes me feel that way. And we can do it in a variety of ways. We may not kill, but may kill from, with, our, with our mouth. God asks the question, why are you wroth? Why are you mad? Why has your countenance fallen? Cain doesn't even answer. God tells Cain, if you do well, which you would imply that he didn't in his offering, God tells Cain he sinned, meaning he was disobedient. And like I said, I don't think Cain was ignorant to what he was doing. I think he was fully aware that he was being a disobedient to God. In verse 7 it says, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. He is the oldest. And I don't know if, if, I don't know what it's like to be the oldest. I know what it's like to be the youngest. And so, um, all the things that my parents would have trained or, or taught my older siblings, not only did I get their training, I got my siblings' training as well. So I really got it from both ends. And I don't believe in the thing that the youngest is spoiled. You can understand why. But I am the least in my father's house. And I can see where it was easier for Cain just to do what God asked him. And maybe where it would have been a little harder for the oldest in the family to take instruction. He's the oldest. 
The other fascinating thing that I find about this, uh, this story is that Cain talks with Abel. What was that conversation like between the two brothers in verse 8? It don't sound to me like it must have went very well. Instead of a meek spirit and asking for mercy, he goes after Abel and kills, thinking it reduces the gauge by which he thought he was measured by. See, God was okay with Abel. He did right. And I don't know if, if, if in Cain's mind, it's like, well, if I get rid of him, then I don't have a gauge anymore to live by. I can do what I want. Does that take away guilt? Does that, uh, is that the remedy for sin? Cain is deep, digging a deeper hole. How like Cain we often respond when we don't want to change, when I don't want to change. We need the blood to cleanse us from all sin. We need to make another altar. We need to do another sacrifice and we need to do it God's way. We need a heart that's transformed or we will kill like Cain. John, 1 John 3.12 says this, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. Wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brothers are righteous. You see, evil works precludes, or precede, killing and death. The awfulness that I see in Cain's attitude is wrapped up in his words when God is speaking to him. And God asks him, he said, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? How cold and how hard was Cain to make that statement? And then when God meets out the punishment and tells him what he's going to have to, to deal with, it's almost as if Cain pouts and says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. No, it ain't, Cain. You deserve to die. Because you violated and caused the first murder. You were the first murderer. When, when, when God had commanded and said, multiply and be fruitful on the earth, you took out, you took out the fourth one. And he says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. So there's some questions here that I have this morning. He says, what do I do when God puts his finger on something in my life and says this needs attention? Does my attitude reflect a meek spirit in the presence of a holy God? You know, there's times in life that we can go through and, and we can make mistakes, and innocently so. Even if you're innocent in the transgression, you're not innocent in your responses when God put, puts his finger on those things. No offering to God is an offering until the blood is applied. Don't get upset at your brother for the sin God is pointing out in your life. Often, when there's something in our life that needs to be corrected, 
We like to point elsewhere and say, well, that's a whole lot worse. Where are we at this morning? Are we bruising Satan's head? We bruise it in our obedience to God. We bruise it in the applying of the blood of Jesus Christ to our sins by accepting its provision and salvation in repentance. Are you bruised this morning? Or are you bruising? If you do well, you will be accepted. Let's have a song.